0: Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church as we uh, continue in a series we just started last week called Staying Present in the Presence. Uh, This series comes off the heels of a very long series we did called Developing a Disciple's Heart where we talked about getting connected to God and the importance of that and living life as disciples. This series builds off of that one. And it's now how to take all that we, we talked about um, in that last series and then apply it throughout our day, staying present in the presence of God throughout the day. That Lots of things are going to come up and try and distract us and discourage us, but that life is found as his disciples, as we talked about, and it's, it's found in staying present in the presence of God. And as the background for this series, we're going to be looking at a series of encounters that Jesus had with people and situations throughout the book of Luke. Um, Jesus, it's always good to look and see what Jesus was doing because he's our model for life and ministry. He's humanity as God intended it to be. And so we can look to see what he does and how he reacts in situations to learn what we're supposed to be doing. And honestly, when we look... At how Jesus lived, a lot of times his reactions are different than what we might presume or think. We, it's, we so quickly get self-righteous uh, in our lives that we're, uh, when you look at the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that Jesus extended throughout his life, it should um, help us all to see what life really looks like in the presence of God. I picked the Gospel of Luke on purpose because the Gospel of Luke really uh, touches on the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is fully God and fully man. But in his incarnate form, here in the flesh, he was dependent on um, God, looked to God for everything, to know the will of the Father. Uh, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We looked at that last week, uh, which empowered him. Who empowered him then to do the ministry that he was called to? And so um, he gets us. Um, and, and so we look to him to figure out what life is like as his disciples. And uh, in the Gospel of Luke, we often see that Jesus prays, um, he withdraws and prays, and then, and then he moves into these significant events in his life. And I, I believe that Luke was, Luke was telling us the importance of being connected, getting in the presence of God, and then staying in that presence uh, in, in and throughout our days, that we don't compartmentalize, that was a I don't know where that word came out of my mind all of a sudden, um, so I didn't know how to pronounce it. We don't compartmentalize our lives by saying, okay, this is my time with God, and then this is my time out in the world, and then maybe I'll get a little more time with God. It should be one flow um, throughout our lives, that, that our lives are found hanging out with God and spending time with Him. Last week... We looked in Luke 3, and we, we looked at the uh, Jesus and his baptism, and we, we talked about um, the importance of knowing that Jesus lived and died and lives for us, knowing that the Holy Spirit is in us and leading and helping and empowering us, and knowing that God's timing and plans are better than ours and that we can trust him. And we also saw... Uh, In that encounter, in that situation last week, that in the midst of the baptism and and right after uh, the baptism, God speaks from heaven and says, "This is my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased." And and that was a a huge moment in all of our lives, really. But but there displayed um, you know Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, all, all in one spot. And the voice of the Father speaking from heaven, you are my son. As we move into Luke chapter 4, we're going to see the enemy try and twist those very words here in just a little bit. But hopefully we're going to look to see in this uh, temptation time that Jesus goes through, some things that we can do uh, as we face temptations in our own lives. But before we dig into that, something a little different because I know you like something a little different before we get started. And I thought completely different that I would talk about this week's stock market activity for you. Helium was up. Feathers were down. Paper was stationary. Knives were up sharply. Pencils lost a few points. Elevators rose while escalators continued their slow decline. Mining equipment hit rock bottom. Diapers remain unchanged. Shipping lines stayed at an even keel. The market for raisins dried up. Coca Cola fizzled. Caterpillar stock inched up a bit. Sun peaked at midday. Balloon prices were inflated. And Scott tissue touched a new bottom invest wisely (laughs) I know I like it someone went someone went wow I think I always I always get a kick out of that fortunately I put the scripture reading right here on purpose Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 13 this is out of the NIV you can follow along in your notes overhead or in your Bibles Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. For it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Now, in this encounter, there's some fascinating elements that I want us to examine together. And um, one of the things that I want to just hop right into here is I want you to see how Jesus uses Scripture to know what the next right thing to do is. For each temptation that comes his way, Jesus relies on the truth of Scripture as his authority for making decisions. This is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to read, study, and memorize Scripture. If we don't know the Bible, the enemy can actually use it against us by twisting it just a little bit and cause us to get off track. And so we we need to know the Bible. We need to read the Bible. We need to study the Bible. For example... When the enemy tries to get Jesus to jump from a high place, the enemy actually uses this scripture, Psalm 91, 11 and 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will, lift up, uh, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now how is the enemy misusing that verse or twisting that verse? Well, what he's doing is he's taking it out of context because he doesn't include verses 9 and 10, which say this of Psalm 91. If you make... The Most High, your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. See, that verse makes it clear that God's protection is for events that befall His servants while they're looking to do His will and while they're hanging out with Him, not as an excuse to go out and seek danger or problems you see how there's a definite difference in the way that you look at that verse because of the context of the verse? So the enemy was taking one little part of it. It's all the angels to take care of you. But the verse is, look, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you can trust God because he's got you in his hands. It's absolutely and totally different based on the context that you read the scripture. That's why it's so important. Why well, I can't emphasize enough. Your need to spend time and establish a discipline that like we talked about in the last series of spending time every day in the Bible. And again, you have to fight against this, this sort of push button mentality we have where we're so used to things coming at us that we're not used to putting effort into something. We push a button and, and uh, you know, television comes at us and radio comes at us and basically stuff from the internet comes at us and it's all just shooting at us. But the word of God, time in the Bible is is of primary importance in your life because you have to know what's going on in the Bible. You have to know what the Bible says. Otherwise, we'll, we'll fall into traps and temptations. We'll, we'll buy into things that the culture says, the Bible says, instead of knowing what it says, because it'll get taken out of context. And the only way to keep it in context is to read it. So I want to encourage you again, five minutes a day. Guys, everybody, at least five. I hope you'll spend a lot more than five, but at least just start somewhere. And, and seriously, if you'll take five minutes a day, you'll be able to read through the Bible pretty much every year. It, it takes five, six minutes to read two or three uh, chapters a day. Three chapters a day, maybe four, will get you through the Bible in a year, the whole thing. And, and you should make it your, your daily routine and, and part of your discipline, your yearly discipline, to get into the Bible and read it. Um, it's life changing. There's so much in there that you need to know. Because some of it's trickier to read than others. I, I, I try and, um, and I said this last night, I want to say it again. People, when I talk about reading the Bible, say, well, of course you have to read the Bible. You're a pastor. Yes, and, and so I do. But I have to have a personal relationship with God as well as a business one. Um, if my only Bible reading is to prepare for messages and stuff, my spiritual life goes flat quick. I have to, like you, spend time with God. I've got to connect with him. I've got to love on him. I've got to hang out with him just in my own life because that's where life is found. And then, you know, uh, hopefully out of that, I expand on that to study and prepare for different things. But I have to spend time with Him, and in that, it's time in the Word. And so, you know, in my own life, I, I, have, a, a, I have several plans that I work through in order to stay disciplined in my Bible reading. I read a yearly plan. I, I read through the Psalms. Um, 12 times a year, 13 if you count the reading plan. I read through the Proverbs the same way every, uh, all the time. Uh, and, I'm, and that doesn't take very long. It might sound like it takes a while, but it really doesn't. It goes pretty quickly in my time throughout the day. And, and that's so I, I have a feel for what's happening because it's easy to get confused along the way. And just little things taken out of context can cause us a lot of issues. And so um, I just want to encourage you, five minutes. Get your Bible... And spend time in it. Uh, You know, I read it out of my iPad now. Because I I read the iPad because I can make the words as big as I want. I feel better about that. (laughs) And I'm up really early and I don't want to turn lights on over the house. And it allows me to read in the dark because it pops up its own line. So, but I mean, I love Bibles. I have, you can ask my family, I have a big collection of Bibles sitting on the shelf and I have different, all different translations and I'll every once in a while I just need to hold on one of those and read through that. And whatever it takes, whatever you need to feel drawn into a time with God, make that happen. Make it a priority in your life. It's really very important. Another thing that I want us to look at today um, is that the set of temptations that the enemy uses against Jesus are almost identical to the same temptations that he used with Adam and Eve. And um, you can extrapolate from that, and we'll look at the New Testament, that he uses those same temptations against us. Very similar set of temptations are part of the enemy's uh, um, weapons against us. And he continues to use them because they always work. Except with Jesus, they've always worked. They got Adam and Eve. They continue to get us. But if we can figure out what they look like, we can be wiser... About what's happening, and we can hopefully get ahead of the tricks and the traps of the enemy, and by the help of the Spirit who's in us, begin to have some um, victory in that area. Genesis 3 6. This was at the fall. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he just as we get back to the fall i know sometimes i just want to say it was all you know it was all eve's fault read the scripture adam was right there the whole time it was both of them together okay either one of them could have stopped this and said no whatever they're like us they're sinners that that was their choice and they choose they chose sin and caused all oh, the big problem but that set of temptations that i was talking about um, is is very clearly pointed out to us in first john 2 16 and it says this for all that is in the world The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Those three tricks, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of the life, they're the tools that the enemy uses, they don't come from God, they're of the world, and the enemy uses them against us all the time to try and distract us. And so recognizing those tricks and traps can really help us. To help me through uh, talking about these tricks and traps today, Doug's going to come up and share a few points with you.
1: Check, one, two, check. Hear me okay? Okay. So, the first point I'm going to talk about is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. And when we say the word flesh, we're talking about our sin nature that we get from Adam and Eve, not our actual physical skin. It's not what's causing us to sin. In 1 John 2.16a, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. Several instances where we see this trick is with Adam and Eve, when the serpent was tempting them with the fruit. They said it was good for food in Genesis 3.6. He said it's not going to kill them. Uh, So, obviously a tasty treat right there if it's not going to kill you, even though they were told they'd die if they'd eat it. Uh, We see it with Jesus, this temptation trick, uh, when Satan tells him to turn the stones to bread, found in Luke 4. Uh, Jesus answered that by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, where he said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So we live on what the Lord tells us, not food itself. And Jesus proved that. He went 40 days fasting. I can't go an hour without food, it seems like. So uh, (laughs) he's got me beat. When we get this temptation, uh, it's often, if it feels good, do it. That's what we're told. Uh, This is a lot of the physical pleasure thing. Wherever you get a physical pleasure of something, that's used as a temptation. Um, You may overindulge on something. You may uh, look at something on the internet. You may do something that makes you feel good. But that's often used as a trap to distract you from what you need to be doing and from doing the next right thing. And often with this trap, it's very self-centered. And the problem is when you live like that, in a self-centered way, and you fall for this trap, you hurt those closest to you. So we need to look out for the lust of the flesh. The second thing we need to look out for is the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. When we see something, we want it. Uh, The second part of 1 John 2.16 talks about the lust of the eyes. Uh, We see this trap with Adam and Eve when the serpent told them that the fruit was beautiful to look at. It's kind of shiny, it's tasty, probably had a good shape to it. They wanted to eat it. We see this trap with Jesus uh, in Luke 4, 5 through 8, when Satan takes him up to the high place, shows him all of the earth, and says, I will give this to you, but you have to worship me first. Uh, it was all Jesus' anyway, and he responds with Deuteronomy six thirteen: Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he refused that offer. Not a very good offer either. Just because he could take it if he wanted it, because he was Jesus. Uh, we see this trap in our lives with materialism. And one of the things that make us, makes us materialistic is advertising. Now, advertising isn't a bad thing, but it bombards us with the newest, latest, and greatest thing that we have to have. Uh, one of the newest things that's come out is the iPhone 5, and uh, I've, I really want it, you know. Uh, I'm constantly looking on the YouTube for it, I'm looking up tech specs, I'm uh, watching all these unboxing videos, and just, you know, it's distracting me from what I need to be doing. I I can spend hours looking at that kind of stuff. And there are other things, too. Uh, I look at new computers all the time, I'm a bit of a techie, uh, looking at new cars, even though I have a car it's already paid for. These aren't bad things, but they can throw us off course, and they can be used as a pitfall against us. So look out for things that catch your eye. And the last point I'm going to talk about is the pride of life. The pride of life. And that's the kind of attitude that says, well, I'm smarter than everybody else. I'm the one who's right. Everybody's dumb. I'm going to do it my way. First John 2.16c, it says, And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Uh, We see this trap with Adam and Eve when the serpent told them the fruit would be desirable for gaining wisdom that will make them like God. Uh, They desired that. They wanted to be this, you know, apparently this voice and no longer fall in the woods freely without any sin in their lives. They wanted to have God-like wisdom. We see this trap with Jesus when Satan tells him, or challenges him rather, that if he really is the son of God, he should throw himself down and the angels will catch him. He quotes Psalm 91, 11 and 12, like my father said. But Jesus knew he was taking that out of context. And he responded with a quote from Deuteronomy 6.16, which says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. We're trapped in this way a lot with that independent nature. We're told to be independent. We're told to not rely on others, but rely on our own strength. But the problem is we're created to rely on God. And we're created to need each other. We're created for community. So we need to have this sense of community for us. It's not good for us to be alone. We rely on everybody else. We're created to be in a relationship with God and with each other. And in order to do that, we need to live lives filled with humility and not pride. And I'm going to give it back to my father and he's going to finish the rest of the sermon. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Okay, and out of this encounter now what we what we see is that even though Jesus was experiencing the full power of temptation from the evil one, he stood firm against it until the evil one gives up and and that's important for you to see Jesus under uh, and, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, stands up against everything that the enemy has to offer, and he stands against the test and the trial and and here's what's so amazing see Jesus knows now what it's like to be us. Now, he didn't fall, he didn't sin, but he gets what it's like to be us. And that's so important because he wants to help us to stand against the temptations and the trials that come our way. Hebrews four fourteen through 16 says this, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let me, and just say something quickly about Jesus, the son of God in that text. Um, When at the baptism, remember the the father speaks out, this is my son whom I love, pointing the son of God. The enemy tries to take that and sort of use it against Jesus. And when you read those verses that we looked at Luke 4, where the, the translations on all of them do that, say, if you are the son of God, really in the Greek it says since. You are the Son of God. Even the enemy knows that Jesus is Jesus and, and, and still took a shot at him, but it didn't work. But since he is the Son of God, we need to know that Jesus is the Son of God. And he's for us and he's with us. Back into the verses. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, the antidote, the the ability to stand against the temptations and and the traps and the tricks of the evil one is to seek God's will and to know his way so that we can choose to do the next right thing. And that in the midst of those things that are happening, that we know that we have continual access to the throne of God and, and that there we get the mercy and the grace that we need when we're being tempted. We, we have available to us the power of, of uh, God to make right choices and decisions. We also know that when we don't, because sometimes we won't, because we're weak, we can run back to God without the guilt and all the mess that the enemy would like to try and keep on us, and we can ask for forgiveness, and Jesus will empower us again, love us, forgive us, and empower us by His Spirit to go and do the next right thing. See, we have to get our focus off of the things of the world and onto Jesus, and all the tricks and all the things that the enemy uses are all of the world. They really don't amount to much. See, there's nothing, there's nothing that compares to the life that God offers us. Nothing the world has to offer even gets close. Now there's a lot of stuff out there, you know, there's a lot of tempting things, things that that look good, things that we think will give us pleasure, things that we think will, you know, uh, make us feel really good about ourselves in inappropriate ways, but none of them compare to the life that God has for you in the kingdom. Everything that he offers you is better. Everything. Everything that the enemy has to give you is a counterfeit that won't last. That doesn't last long. But God offers you the very best of everything if we'll get our eyes on him. So that's what we need to remember as we go through our days. And what Jesus teaches us in this encounter about the presence of God is that throughout the day we want to we keep our eyes focused on jesus knowing that we have access to the throne room 24 7 and that he wants to pour out on us liberally mercy and grace to make the right choices to do the next right thing because that's where life is found and so think about those things this week we're going to pick it up right from there next week when we get back together and see what else we can learn about staying present in the presence from jesus our model for life and ministry amen If you're watching on television or video, thank you so much for spending this time with us. We know how valuable your time is. We appreciate it. And uh, if you need prayer, please just go to the website, send us an email, and we'll certainly pray for you or call us and we'll meet you there.